And welcome back to the Book and Life podcast. Today, your host is Crystal Fleming, and uh, we're going to have an exciting author on today, and she's going to share some very great insights into things that um, are to do with writing, to do with books, and she's even going to share some uh, interesting facts about her own life. Before we get started with that, I will read you the adverts for the Shadow Time Guardian series, book four. And also we have a advert to support the Ukraine refugee crisis. The Shadow Time Book, Shadow Time Guardian series book four by Marianne Curley. The battle is over, the war is won, the prophecy complete. But life can't just pick up where it left off for Ethan, struggling to cope with tragic loss. At odds with the friends in the guard, he finds himself adrift, jumping at shadows and sensing someone who can't possibly be there. Blaming herself for the goddess Lathena's death, Giselle swears revenge and vilify the immortal's plan for world domination. But Giselle hadn't planned on love, and that leaves her with an unbearable choice. Should she follow her heart? Or the strings of a goddess short on praise but high on expectation, who continues to pull her from the grave. As the guard and the order battle through the past and into an impossible future, darkness lurks around every corner. The fight for the world's survival rests with just one. Is it friend or foe who stands in the shadows? And it's just a reminder that The Price of Freedom by Rosemary Rowan, which is part of her Roman crime, British crime series, is having a large portion of its royalties donated to the Ukraine refugee crisis and her auth- her agent has even donated her commission to the Ukraine crisis. And welcome back. So guys, this is incredible. The author that I have coming on. Remember I told you last week that this is something you're going to want to tune in to see or hear? Well, I have the most stunning beautiful writer I have come across in ages and I can't wait to share it with you. She does amazing fantasy. Her stories are so well thought out of and so detailed that you guys are not going to want to miss this. So everyone, please welcome M.L. Hamilton. Thank you. Uh, I wish I always had like the crowd there so they could cheer, <laughs> yeah. you know? But, yeah. But no, it's it's amazing to have you on. And I know today we're talking about the Moon Mage series and you have another series that's just about to come out. Uh, so can you tell us a little bit about them? Uh, so you mentioned that um, the fantasy, and what an introduction. I really appreciate that, Crystal. That was an amazing introduction. Um, so honored to be on your podcast and talking to you. Um, my first novel that was published traditionally was a fantasy, was an epic fantasy um, in the World of Samar series, and it was published in 2010. So I've always had an interest in fantasy. I loved reading fantasy literature. I loved watching, you know, fantasy. I grew up with Lord of the Rings and, and uh, the Emma McCaffrey novels. Um, and so I was published with the epic fantasy, but I really love urban fantasy. And so I had this idea to do an urban fantasy series. It's just a trilogy. Um, and the third one just came out. Um, it's called the moon mage and I have it here. Um, it's done, and... guys. absolutely stunning. <laughs> um, there's, so there's three, there's the moon thief, uh, the moon walker, and then the moon mage. And um, they are set in San Francisco. My character, Brianna, 
Perry is a psychiatrist. She works at San Quentin. Um, and then she has her own practice on the side. And through a series of weird circumstances, she um, is in a car accident. And a man appears in her hospital room and asks her if she wants to live. And when she says yes, all kinds of things happen. And I don't want to give anything away, but um, it, it becomes quite, quite an adventure for Brianna and her having to come to grips with the fact that her life is no longer the same. And um, the, the culmination is, is this final book um, where she finally comes to an understanding that sometimes you have to accept that not everything is going to be the way that you had hoped or believed it was going to be, but that you can still have a meaningful, happy life. I love that. I love the fact that it's a, a journey with such a positive message considering we've all had sort of two years, three years of uncertainty and wanting things to be normal and wanting things to go a certain way. And obviously it was out of our control and we just had to roll with the punches. So I think it's such a good time for this to be coming out and for it to be shared with everyone. Absolutely. Yeah. It very much is. Um, yeah. It very much is a reflection of what has happened to all of us. Of entire, I mean, where else, you know, I can't think of a time where the entire world had an experience where all of our lives were thrown into upheaval. And, and yeah, and that idea of what, what I, I kept hearing over and over again throughout the last three years, um, what's the new normal, right? That that phrase, right? New normal um, keeps coming up. And, and I think we're all figuring out what the new normal is. Yeah, and it's, you know, to have a book where you're escaping into fantasy world, but I call it accidental learning because you are learning <laughs> through the book about maybe how to change your own perspective on things and your own ideas on things and, you know, learn to roll as much as, but I think it, your message expands further than that because you can, you could argue that it's going to be really helpful to people who maybe got just been diagnosed with long-term illness mm -hmm. who maybe have just gained a disability and they've had this normal idea what this idea of what normal life would be like and now their life isn't normal and they don't know how it's ever going to be normal again and your book would really your, your series would really help them kind of come to terms with that but in a way that's not making them face it you know head on I, I love that idea um, because when I write, mostly I, I people ask me, you know, what what is the meaning behind my work? And, and I always think it's just entertainment, right? I just, I, I actually think entertainment is a very positive goal for people to give people escape. But I love the idea that maybe something that I write will help people come to terms with things. I mean, we all, we all wind up experiencing at some point in our lives something that changes you know, our, our ability to function in the way that we used to function, whether it's aging, whether it's, you know, a, an illness that does that. But so I do think if that's what, what happens, if that's a message that people get from the book, that to me is just a bonus, you know, because what better way? Yeah. I think, I think that's, you know, an incredible series. And I know that there's a lot of people I'll be recommending it to because if you can find something like that, it, it does help a lot of people. And I always say that, like, I look for things that, you know, books that are, are well written that can take that person away from things, but also while they're reading it slowly change their perspectives. Um, so, yeah, I'll definitely be adding yours to the to the arsenal. So tell us about your new series that 
is coming out, I believe, or is is it just come out? Um, so it will be coming out. Um, the um, so I started um, as I said with epic fantasy, and then I wanted to get into um, writing. I, I really love contemporary dialogue, and I really love being able to write. You know, the way I, I love to study the way people speak and the way that they their the cadence of their language, and so. Um, I wanted to write something, and I, there was an event in my family that was sort of unfortunate, and so I wrote a murder mystery, and that series became my most popular series. It's the Peyton Brooks Mysteries, and I had intended for there to be seven books in that series, and and then I was going to stop it because I feel like often, I'm sorry, my dog is barking like a lunatic in the background. It's okay. We all have dogs and cats. It's... It's a, it's the life of a Zoom, I'm afraid. You know? yes, it really is. This is this is the morning barks. So she barks at everybody as they go by. Um, anyway, um, so I had written the first seven of the series, and I and I believe that often if people don't know when to end strong, and so my my uh, goal has always been to end before people are tired of what I do. And so I would plan to end it. And then I got so many um, responses from readers that were like, please don't end this series. So I had her move to the FBI and she um, was doing traveling. So she got to travel wherever I got to travel. And um, so I had 11 books in that series. And then I thought, well, I'm going to end it now. And then I got so many people writing me saying, please, please don't end it. And I thought, well, I don't know where to go from here. And then I found out that the American FBI has a database and they have a bunch of cases in the database um, that you can go and you can find out all of the information about these cases that they've released. And um, one I decided was to do hate crimes because that's an area that I, I feel personally is um, particularly heinous um, and so I thought it would be nice to do to have her move into a hate crimes division and so that's the new one that will be coming out uh, when this podcast airs is the hate crimes uh, Peyton Burke's hate crimes division and so she'll be moving into a leadership role with the FBI and taking on um, hate crimes. That sounds amazing and it's it's such a, a lovely feeling to have when you know somebody writes to you and says oh my god you know this i love this series i love this character i want to know where she's going i want to know what she's going to do next that is i always say the most special response you can get from readers um and i always encourage people i'm like if you really like it but send the, the, the author a note and let them know what you love that's such an important thing crystal um because there's been so many things um, in the first series a, a character I had always intended that the character was going to have a tragic ending. And um, my readers wrote so many emails and messages on Facebook and everywhere that they could message me of, please, please do not kill off this character. And so it saved, it saved that character's life. Um, and so, you know, I, I do hear what people say and I do, it does have an influence on me because Absolutely, I agree. The most flattering compliment you could possibly get is that somebody wants more. Um, yeah. That's super exciting. Yeah, and I think that's that's the incredible part is is that wanting to have that more kind of situation. Um, and I myself, I mean, I've I've had people who's come to put signings and says things like that and said, "Oh my God, you can't stop the series just because you're moving out of this publisher," and I'm like, "Oh." 
until I find a new one, technically it's not going anywhere. <laughs> so like, I always kind of felt guilty about that. And, and I think, but talking to them meant so much to me because here was other people that were as excited about this character as I was. And it's, it's just the best kind of conversations you can have. I think. It really is. I don't know if you've had this conversation, but I've had people come up and say, well, this doesn't seem like, you know, whatever character it is. This doesn't seem like something Peyton would do. And, and I always think, but I made Peyton up, but they, they have a personal relationship they, that this person yeah. has become a real, a real person to them. And how exciting is that? I mean, that's just to me when, when, when they suddenly see this as a real person, then, then I've done my job, you know, I've done the right yeah. thing. I've, I've made that person come alive and that's so gratifying to hear re- <laughs> readers talk about that. Yeah, I mean, we, me and my uh, Joe, we were doing sort of a podcast. Well, I think it was a BBC kind of interview thing, and uh, a caller had phoned in and said, "You know, oh, Layla is definitely my sister, and I'm <laughs> definitely Marie." And they were sort of really kind of trying to take on those personalities, and they dyed their hair, and and they were, you know, wearing clothes that they thought that they would wear, and and I'm thinking just whoa you know yeah. like here's characters <laughs> that i dropped up with my friends years ago when i was a kid and now to hear this generation's excited about it and they're wearing the clothes and they're doing the dances and they're they're pushing for this it, that that to me was yeah i was just totally totally incredible so it was yeah. for me yeah so what what would you say inspired um that series, you know, both the Mage series and uh and your new your your Peyton one? Um so the the Moon um the Moonlight trilogy, um I just I wanted to do something a little bit lighter. Uh when I did a, the murder mysteries, I always try and um buffer them with something fun for me. So the, yeah. so the murder yeah. mysteries are are intense. It's intense research. It's intense, but mm-hmm. writing about murder, it's not my, you know, my favorite thing. <laughs> um, no. And so they're super intense and I feel exhausted after I write one. And so I always like something kind of fun to buffer it with. And that, that keeps me motivated to keep writing. And so I wanted to do something where I could um, have fun with it, make it a little bit lighter um, and just play with this idea of what if, what if somebody altered the very essence of who you are um, on a, on a on a genetic level, um, on a DNA yeah. level, and what would you do? How would you cope with that? And so it just it was something where and I and it allowed me to be you know um, to to play with humor. Humor to me is, is probably one of the more difficult things to write. It's very easy to write paper, yeah, but to write humor. Uh, it has to land and you don't know that when you're writing because the reader, you know, you don't have a dialogue with the reader directly. Um, And so that was why I wrote that one. It was, I just wanted something light and fun and to be able to play with humor and to be able to play with this whole idea of just speculation. Right. I mean, we all have, have these things that we speculate with the murder mysteries. um, There was an incident in my family where somebody died unexpectedly and um, because the person died in the hospital, there was no autopsy done. And um, in, in, in America, you don't, if somebody dies in the hospital, you don't have to have an autopsy. 
but it was very suspicious um, because there was nothing wrong with this person prior to to going into the hospital, and then the the death was so sudden, and they really couldn't figure out what was the cause of it. And the person had her cremated before her children could even come out to say goodbye. So right. I got to thinking, like, how could you accomplish something like this without there being any question about what happened? And so that sparked the first of the murder mysteries. And then I got kind of fascinated by the whole, a murder mystery is a very different kind of plot from a fantasy where a murder mystery, yes. you know, you have to lay the groundwork really early on. And so that is a really, it was really fascinating for me to be able to write that because it was so different than writing a fantasy where, you know, a fantasy is pretty much a travel log of, of where your characters are going, where with a murder mystery, you've got to give the clues because the ultimate goal is that your reader will eventually figure it out. Yeah. I, and I, I think that's, I think if you're writing murder mysteries, I mean, I, I worked with somebody on a, on a murder mystery. It is, it is like, Walking through sludge was yes. was the best way of putting it. You know, because um, you're listening to true crime, true crime podcasts. You're listening right. to, you know, um, unsolved murders yes. and all this sort of stuff. And it it gets really hard going, and you think a dark place to go to. Yeah, like what what am I doing here? You know, yeah. this is this is too much. This is too crazy. Um, and I that I think that um, doing that and then going and writing humor, it it keeps you sane for what it's like. A, I I call it a palate cleanser, right? It's like yeah. you know I'm wallowing the 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 most uh, darkest corners of the of the human mind, and then to be able to write humor, you know, it, it's a kind of a palate cleanser. It allows you to kind of get out of that um, darkness and yeah. see the light again. Yeah, and I I think that there's so much darkness nowadays you know in the news yeah and no matter where we go like it's not hard to be inspired right. into writing that but it is hard to breathe and find you know okay i need i need a break from this where can i go for sanctuary purposes and, mm -hmm. and sort of get my my head on straight um so yeah i mean i admire the fact that that you choose humor to go and do that because it it really isn't isn't easy so i i no. think that's awesome and as i said like writing comedy isn't easy because yeah you don't have the person's reaction to know exactly oh how's this how's this landing how's this going because you you just have to guess exactly the advice that i had um i did a comedy um workshop for screenwriting and they said um you can either grab a hold of somebody and get them to listen to every single joke you have or you can just write it write what you laugh at and hope for the best yeah and i thought that that's scary to me because I like having control. Like I don't yeah. like giving up control. So for him to say that, and I'm thinking who in their right mind is going to just go with it, you know, like, mm, you know, 
but yeah so i admire that you you've done it because it's it's kind of like putting yourself out there but in a very awkward spot maybe it is it's it's very vulnerable it's it's funny because you would think writing writing you know sad emotional scenes would be very vulnerable right you would think that would be the vulnerability but that's not what it is i mean it because most people can't appreciate sadness they can they can accept sadness but everybody's idea of what's funny is so vastly different that you know you're you're having to take a shot in the dark um i'm very fortunate in um I do work with a audiobook producer, and so often we're trying to do the books at the same time. So she'll be right. recording at the same time as I'm writing, and so I get to hear it. And if I'm laughing because of the way that she conveys it, then I know it's probably going to land. Um, and that's yeah. a unique situation. So it goes speaks to that thing that you were talking about with having somebody hear the jokes um, ahead of time. I kind of do have something similar um to that you've got, yeah you've got somebody to bounce it off of and say exactly am i getting this right or am i yeah. just sinking into into a hole here that i'm not going to get myself out of right so, yeah no, i i think it's great and i trained in in wrestling writing which is you know it's the same kind of thing you don't know if your your stories is going to go we splat or if it's gonna you know rise and, and and do really well so i i understand the pressure on that well um, even writing in itself is vulnerable isn't it i mean the first yeah. time you let anybody read anything you write this is something you created and letting somebody which you know was a very difficult thing for me to do um when i first started i for years i wouldn't let anybody read anything that i wrote because it was such a vulnerability and so any even that is so difficult to let people first of all read what you wrote in the first place um regardless of what it is you're writing because you're so vulnerable yeah and i would agree with that i um i just experienced something where i was talking to a scottish publisher and they really liked my idea and my editor was away and i sent in something i thought was in good shape and my dyslexia had played awful tricks on me Oh, and no. he didn't understand my opening line and didn't go any further than my opening line and I just oh, no. felt crushed oh, I was like God. oh so you know I know that if I edit it and maybe like because she's not back till September so that's where I'm screwed but um if I can find an editor and get them to do that one chapter for me then maybe I can get him to to read the rest and and he said the same he's like I love the idea I love the concept but I know, like, with the dyslexia, a lot of the time, I get shot in the foot. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my yeah. goodness. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that, but that is, yeah. That, that's a different lie. kind of vulnerability, I suppose. Uh, well, no, it's still it's still vulnerability, right? Because they didn't see you for just a simple thing that could be easily fixed. Yeah. Yeah, and the fact that he didn't read any further than the yeah, one line. line. My goodness, you can't get anything off of one line. Yeah, so I was just like defunded. Uh, but terrible. You know, I'll I keep going. I keep trying, and I'll find other places. And and that's well, isn't my that, thing, you know. Isn't that the truth though? With writing, it's it's you get used to the rejection and the and the and the, the yeah. yeah you, you do. I just I just simply like if I get a rejection. I figure out, okay, is this a rejection, but I can re-edit yeah. and resubmit, or is this just a rejection and that's it? Yeah. 
Um, so yeah, I just I I hold on to the hope that I can edit and then send it back to them and say, yeah, I'm very sorry, but could you take a second look and see? Um, but you know that that's that's the life of a writer sometimes. I think you know. Well, it is. I mean, it's it's the you know. I mean. The, it's the focusing on the one star review versus the five star, right? I mean, you, you yep. could have a hundred five star reviews and somebody gives you that one star and then you just obsess over that one star. Like, what did I do wrong? And it's, you have to learn, you have to learn that that's just part of part and parcel of, of, of being a, a writer. I also think it's, it's, it's a bit disheartening when, uh, you know, you're, you're putting stuff out there too and you just, you get don't you know didn't finish for really peculiar reasons yeah and you're you just like hmm did they focus on my peculiar reason like yeah yeah you know so like i i get the vulnerability and i i love it when i see writers who are, are attempting to break out even though like the odds have been stacked a little bit against them you know yeah i I cheer them on because I'm like, those are the ones that are going through the harder stages. So, Absolutely. you know, like, go, you know, go you. So moving into the book uh, portion of the podcast, what book would you say that you've read most recently that stuck with you the most? Such a good question. Um, I, I teach. So, um, I, and, and I, there's, there's books that I read every year. And the funny thing about the books um, is I see something new in each one of them. And so the one that comes to mind right away is um, I just finished the school year um, with uh, Macbeth, Shakespeare's Macbeth. And it's funny how a book, you know, that's over 400 years old suddenly has resonance in, in today's politics and today's happenings. And I can see parallels and it has it, it, it it's still you know that's that's why after 400 years we're still talking about it it still resonates yeah. and it's amazing that humanity hasn't advanced um any more than that but that whole idea of blind ambition and what what the the, the just the the um the the destruction that it can rot, rot on on humanity is is i guess timeless so, yeah, yeah. So I would say that's probably probably the most recent. And I think his example. his stuff's going to last for the end of time because he noticed things like racism, inequality. Yes. He noticed all these major issues, and they were what he used to then funnel his own writing. Absolutely, yeah. But and having it- that close relationship with the king, he had that kind of support. Yes. But he also had that little thing in the back of his head, whereas I got to kind of make this almost not obvious to their time. Oh, yes. Readers, very much so. yeah. Because I'll get done for treason. So yes. I've got to make it a little bit more complicated so it's not easily said that that's what I've done. But then people hundreds of years from now will be able to go, read it and go, Ah, okay. So he, you know, he's doing this to kind of get that point across, and he's saying this because he's trying to say that, but he couldn't say that because of the the situation he's yeah. in. So yeah, he. I think he will be around for a very long time, and I think that's that's a writer that a lot of people look to and think that that's where they would want to be, you know, oh in the God. near future. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. If you think about his progressiveness um, and, and the things, the things that he wrote about, you know, you're right. He's a man out of time. It, it's like if you, if you believed in time travel, you, you would almost imagine that he, he was a time traveler. Right. Because yeah. the things that he brought forward were so um, applicable to so many times in history that, yeah, just it's amazing. You know, and uh, there was a book that I, I think of when you say that, and it was called Shakespeare's Wife. If you get a chance to read that, you should. Oh, okay. Um, it just hit home a lot of yeah. things. Like, could you imagine yeah. being married to somebody like that who has this <laughs> incredible gift? Yeah. And I think it it's a good one for opening people's eyes and, to, you know, asking that question. Yeah. Like, you know. What, what would it have been like living with somebody like that being married to somebody like that so yeah i i like to i like to nudge at that one a little bit yeah. that's the book i kind of like especially if someone says oh yeah shakespeare and they go oh yeah shakespeare's wife you know it's like a yeah, hand in hand kind of thing probably feel like you were you know the wallpaper or something compared to yeah. something like that yeah that's interesting yeah who do you wish that you could you know sit and talk to if time was infinite and it can be somebody alive or dead doesn't matter but who would you sit and speak to if you had the chance so my favorite novel is their eyes are watching god by zora neale hurston and i would love to be able to sit down and have a conversation with her um, and talk about her process and talk about what she was trying to do with that book and um, this is somebody who died in poverty who wrote one of the most beautiful novels, I think, of all time. I, I, I still, uh, it's another one that I teach every year. And every time I read it, I, there's these moments of just, I, I don't know if you do this, but with, with reading, I'll, I'll come across a passage. It's just beautiful because the word, the way that the words flow are so beautiful. And I do that with her. And I would just love to just hear her thoughts on so many things, but just the writing process alone and how to convey um, the way that she conveyed that story and, and brought to life this character um, who's so complex, so interesting. And every time I've read it, I've read it from the time I was um, in high school myself to, to now um, as a woman of certain years. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> I see something different every time I read it based on the age that I am. And I think that that's interesting. I think it's just such a, such an interesting book um, in that regard. Yeah, I, I think it is. And I think that that's a really good one to, to pick. So if you have infinite time, who would you sit and read and ju just enjoy? Now, it has to be one author and a series, but you can't have the same author and the series being the same people. Okay. So, um, John Steinbeck is an author that I love um, his writing. Again, I, I really love authors that have sort of a, a poetic quality to their work. And he's one I would love to just sit and study and study the whole breadth of his work um, and really explore it and... Um, just immerse myself in, in the beauty of his writing. Um, a series, that's that's harder, let me think. Um, 
I really love, I, I told you, I really love um, urban fantasy. So da Danica Dark has a series and it's, um, and I'm struggling to find the name of it, but um, I love her series. There's a number of her series that I just would love to go back and read again in full. They're, they're just mind candy for me. I just love them. I think that they're so fun. Um, and she's another one where the characters become so real that I just root for the character. So I would probably any of her series, I would go back and, and just spend my time reading them through again. Um, I think every time she comes out, I'm on, on the list to get the books as soon as they come out. Um, and so I devour them. And then I think, God, why did I, why did I read it so fast? You know, because I didn't have time to really enjoy it and to see all the connections. So I'd love to go back and read all of her series probably. Um, and just be able to read them back to back at one time so that I can see kind of the progression of how the characters went. Yeah. That, that's amazing. And I think if you have a large space of time between each book, you almost forget a lot yeah. of it. Yeah. And if you can read it back to back, like I'll sometimes not buy a series till I know it's finished because then I can read one to the next, to the next, to the next till it's finished. I've um, heard that a lot of people have told, a lot of readers have told me like, they'll say, I'm not going to start that series till you finish it. And, and I get yeah. that. Yeah, I get that. It's hard for the writer though. Like I always yeah. think of, of it, the flip side where I'm like, this writer needs me to buy. Like I'll buy the books maybe. But I, I'll like sit them in a pile. Yeah. And I'll say, right, I'm not going to read them till the end comes out because yeah. I'm just going to forget everything. Um, so that's what I always recommend to readers. Like, you maybe don't necessarily need to start reading that series right away, but to support the author and being that the author is the most important part of this, make sure that you buy the books as they come out, keep them in a pile. And then when that when you know that series is finished, then read it if that's yeah. what you need to do. Um, yeah. And I find that 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 advice has helped quite a few people. Um, so I keep saying on the podcast, hoping it's gonna like spread to everybody, and then everybody <laughs> will understand it. So, what author has influenced you, past and present, um, inspired you, and made you excited a about reading and b about books and see about writing so many my goodness there's so many um if i had to pick one it's probably shakespeare um i studied i got I, I was so fortunate i got to study for two weeks at the globe theater in in london um and it's probably shakespeare when i think of all the, the writers that i come back to over and over again for my own writing that would probably be the one but there's so many of them um, um i just did a list for another um, group where they asked me to pick five novels and, and um, there was, Shakespeare was among them. And then, like I said, Steinbeck, um, I took a Hemingway course in um, college. That was fascinating. We, we read so much. We read almost all of Hemingway and contrasting him with the Steinbeck because the two of them always get paired together because they were both writing yeah. at the same time. They were, um, both Nobel Prize winners, both Pulitzer Prize winners. And so often they get paired together and they're so divergent in their styles. So as a as a writer, mm -hmm. I like to um, read their stuff because it, it kind of informs my own writing style. And I think that to be a writer, you have to be a reader. And I think you have to read a lot of different things. So I pretty much will pick up anything and read it. Um, I, but 
so, so many writers have influenced me. Um, I think from a young age, you know, my parents introduced me to literature right from very early on. They read um, the Lord of the Rings out loud to Tolkien. Um, and then just through my education, you know, um, being an English major, it was the best choice of majors for me because it was literally, you get to read all the time. And that's what I love to do anyway. Yeah. Um, one of the first ones I mentioned earlier was Emma Caffrey. I loved her. My dad brought me, um, he, he, my dad always picks wine, music, and books by the cover. <laughs> and, um, he brought me Emma Caffrey because he thought the cover was beautiful. And that just set up, I, just, I mean, I just devoured those books. So I think all of those authors had an influence on both my reading and my writing. It's funny because when you're talking about that, like... I read a lot. I read from crime, children's, contemporary. I've read every style going. And I, I think um, I just did a literacy course there where, you know, we were comparing like Thomas Harding yes. and we were comparing Edith and we were comparing um, Ursula, you know, so we were yes. spinning and we were pulling apart all these books. And I thought, this is incredible. But as someone with dyslexia... <laughs> It is the hardest course to do an English course because if you're missing years of grammar and you're missing years of the early English education, you are pretty much kneecapped. Yes. So for me, like, because I have huge gaps in my education, um, it was really hard for me. And yeah. I wanted it to be my favorite course because I wanted to sit and read all the time. But I discovered that it was harder for me. I took me longer to read than other people and they didn't give me enough time between yeah. books. Yeah. So I struggled. I really struggled. I passed it and I was so glad I passed that module, but it was probably by the skin of my teeth, to be honest, but it was great because I got to enjoy really great things. I got to, I got the inspiration to start, no, not start the podcast because of the, the course, but I got friends who teamed up on me and we're like you're going to do this podcast because you're funny and you bring funny stories and you're an advocate for disabled people you're an advocate for people with learning dis dis disabilities and you bring people on and you bring a different perspective to things plus you're always excited about reading and about books and i always say that to like anyone who's dyslexic read don't care what it is just read because you are going to improve your skills you will eventually learn the grammar through reading and that'll stick and that's important and that when i started doing that in 16 because that wasn't until i was at college that I, I met an english teacher who told me that and that's what i started to do and i you know i was a huge fan of katherine cookson who's also dyslexic um and if you read her stuff she writes the way she talks and, you know, if you want somebody who's got such beautiful imagery yeah. and use of words, she's your girl. Like, yeah. it is, you know, she takes blue-collar workers and she shines a light on what their lives are actually like. And she said, you know, she gives, she was one of the first um, British novelists to tackle racism head on and didn't sugarcoat it. Yeah. She tackled women's uh, domestic violence head on. 
she tackled inequality head on she tackled what vulnerable people were taking being taken advantage of yeah um and you know how that was happening and how people have sort of vulnerabilities were taking advantage like you know what it felt like for them right so she really created stuff that she either had witnessed or she had grown up around um and she'd started off as a servant in a in a house cleaning really yeah and she wrote every night she would go up to her servants quarters and she would write like a crazy woman because she wouldn't want to forget anything yeah um you know if you're wanting pacific titles to, to read I always say uh, Hamilton is a good book that she did um, the other one is around Tower uh, Colorblind and I would say the Malin streak is another really good one because that looks at like generational um, psycho like she didn't know anything about psychopaths or, or yeah. those kind of things but it, it highlights sort of these neurotic people and mm -hmm. how they behave and how privilege sometimes corrodes and corrupts people yeah and she was oh, really yeah. big on that yeah. so yeah i love sharing like when people talk about really old at good english writers she's like yeah. one of the ones i bring up and say yeah have you tried her read her you know you, you might you might learn something uh from her so she's incredible you... Do you listen to audiobooks? Do you do audiobooks? I do, yeah. I've only just started. <laughs> I'm only on my second one now. So yeah. yeah, that would be a way to, to share some of the, the literature, you know, that isn't so labor intensive. Yeah. Um, I did not yeah. know that going into the course, though. Right, right. Well, I, I, Which would have actually been helpful. <laughs> absolutely, yes. Yeah. So as an English teacher, um, I have students, a lot of students with, with various learning disabilities, and I always recommend audiobooks are, I, I think we think that somehow that's cheating, and it's cheating. not. It's it's mm -hmm. not at all. I, I do agree with you that, that reading, you know, the practice of reading, but if you just want the story, you know, it, it would be nice to have something that isn't so so labor intensive. Um, and for and a lot I, of I think students, that was also part of the course because they wanted us to pull out specific lines and specific right. Right. Examples of certain things during that uh, passages. You know, I but think, I think audio it's perfectly acceptable to do both, right? To, yeah. to listen and then to go back and, and read it yourself. Um, yeah. I think it's a very acceptable way of, of you know, yeah, finding I, in literature. I must admit, I feel brave that I've done it. Yes. I am now about to enter my third year, and after this year, I only have 60 credits before I graduate with my honours, my bachelor's, um, with an yeah. open degree. So, yeah, yeah and, uh, I, know, I don't give up, and I always say that to people, like, it might take you guys a little longer than everybody else, but, you know, I've done, I will have done my bachelor's degree in four years. That's inspirational. You know, and I've done it with working and I've done it with running a podcast and trying and to write and trying to do all this other stuff because I'm not, I, I'm somebody who doesn't understand the size of my own plate sometimes. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, like uh, last year I was writing, I was um, sort of recuperating from an awful surgery gone wrong. And in the middle of it, I thought, 
oh, I'll start a podcast. <laughs> and like, like I don't have enough to do. Right. <laughs> I will, you know, do this podcast. Um, and we've actually, we launched on May 2nd. And that was fully um, recorded through to February. Amazing. You know, and it, it literally, I think I started recording the month before we were to launch. So in March, I was doing two or three times a day. I had people on two or three times a day and I was just, I just kept wow. going. Like, um, I took a week off because I was in hospital and uh, I came back and my inbox was just like, <laughs> you know, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, like, like mm, okay. And I just, I kept you know, I said, this is going to be important one day for somebody. And, yeah. you know, like I've made so many friends through this. Um, and it, yeah, it's been truly an amazing adventure. Um, and I keep, I keep saying to everybody, I'm like, you're never going to believe any of this un until you've gone through it with me. It's it's right. going to be a crazy ass adventure. Uh, <laughs> You know, and my best friend, she she says it all the time. She's like, Crystal, you're nuts. Like, you don't do things by halves. You do things, like, by gallons, you know? And I'm like, don't know if that's quite a compliment. I'm going to take it as one, but just so you know, I'm kind of thinking it's not, like, because she knows I don't get sarcasm all the time. So, um, so yeah, but she listens, and it's it's good because we haven't, been together as much this year but she feels like she's with me all the time because she can right. listen to the podcast and she's like yeah. you know what made you tell that story today like you know <laughs> sometimes I get text saying really I'm like oh listen to the podcast did you um so yeah I probably will get text of this one saying why are you talking about me on the podcast <laughs> uh, I think she'll actually really enjoy it but she studied Shakespeare. She was Shakespeare mad. Um, oh, really? So, yeah. And so I was doing the course and she's like texting me saying, do you need help? Do you need help? Do you need But I wanted to do it myself. That was kind of yeah. my stubbornness. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, like she, she did help me a little bit, um, which I was, I was incredibly grateful for. So, yeah. yeah. It's good to have friends that you can, you can rely yeah. on and you can call for, <laughs> for help. Yeah. Yes. If you could go back in time, where would you go? And would you go back as a writer, princess, or would you do another job? Um, if I were to go back in time, mm -hmm. um, I'd like to see, I was born in 67. I'd like to see the 60s. I'd like to see the civil rights movement and how it progressed. Um, so that would probably be where I would be more, you know, aware of what was happening. Um, I'd like to see that time. Um, I'm not a big person that longs for times past, um, because I, I think every time has its issues and it's fraught with, you know, mm -hmm. different things. Um, but if I were not, if I were not going to be a writer, I wanted to be a marine biologist. So I often oh. think, um, I often think, you know, is there still time to pursue that? Um, yep, but, there's always time. Yeah, <laughs> so that would probably be what I would do if I wasn't a writer, is, is I'd probably go back and be a marine biologist. I do have a deep interest in biology, and especially uh, marine biology, so I think that's what I would do. I like that. That That is that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. Because, <laughs> like, 
I've had some very crazy answers on this show. So oh. that one is like the nicest kind of laugh. Oh. <laughs> like I, their answer that, you know, you've not made me go, huh? <laughs> what did I hear? <laughs> so um, I always find that when people do that to me, I'm like sitting for ages going, yeah, I'm not sure I heard that right. For, for times past. And I always think, you know, what is it that you're longing for? And who who's being left out by wanting those past times, you know? I I mean, just in, in American history, yeah. uh, a lot of the past is fraught with, with inequality. And um, it's, it, I'm not sure what we're longing for in that regard, you know? Maybe simpler yeah. time. I get this wanting something simpler, mm-hmm. but I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of one of those ones where you're like, um <laughs> yeah you yeah. know oh i don't know what i'm doing here um yeah kind of scenarios yeah no i i get that yeah. um i think it's i think it's crazy has there ever been a book that you wished you'd never picked up and read and why yeah um i'm very I, I, uh, that's that's such a good question um i'm gonna i'm gonna kind of quantify this in a way um or qualify this uh there i native son is a book i wish i never read but i do think it's a book i should have read so i think that's interesting because to me um native son it's so violent and it's so bleak and dark Mm -hmm. um and it gave me nightmares still to this day that book gives me nightmares um however i think I should have read it. So that's, that's such an interesting um, kind of way to kind of parse that. I don't mean to, to be vague about it, but I just, I think, I think sometimes we have to read things that maybe make us uncomfortable Mm -hmm. to grow and to, to, to kind of take a look at who we are and, and kind of check our own privilege and our own belief systems and force ourselves out of our comfort zone. I think sometimes a little cognitive dissonance, a little, discomfort is the only place we grow i would i would definitely agree with that and i think for for me i've been in situations where i have to kind of take a step back particularly with some books i yeah. will start reading it and i'll be like no i can't i can't go through with this yeah why why am i doing this to myself um and i think one of the the harder ones for me was um i know i need to read the handmaiden's tale yes but at the same time, yeah. I'm like, that might be too much for me. I totally get what you're saying because I have it. It's yeah. in my Kindle waiting for me to read and I haven't opened it. So I <laughs> so you, you're in the same boat as me I, where I, you're like, mm. yes, absolutely. I totally get what you're saying there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I again, I think it's. I think it's one that I learn a lot from. Yeah. But I may possibly have endless amount of nightmares to the point where my husband might uh, just get a little sick of me. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, so yeah. And also, I, I'm not very good with um, things that jump out at me. So, yeah. I think if it's something like that, I may, um, I may be running and hiding. <laughs> <laughs> So entering into the writer's portion of your life, how did you go about creating the darker elements in your storylines? 
Um, so uh, yeah, that's, that's again, boy, you have some really good questions. Um, that's another one. Um, I use real cases because, um, otherwise I, it, it's the only way that I can go to the, to the darkness, um, that I need to go to. And so I always use real cases for that because it's, it's hard. It's, and I always try to find humanity. Um, I'm not a big, I don't love, um, the big bad. You know, I don't love the yeah. villain for the sake of being a villain. Um, I, yeah. I love villains that have, even if the, the you know, I think of, I, I've mentioned this before on other interviews, I think of Thanos of the MCU, where this is a villain that you can almost understand where he's coming from. Not that he's right, but you can see where he's coming from, and that's what I like. And so I always look for cases that where there's some ambiguity um, mm-hmm. about maybe the motive, not that, that the motive for murder is ever right. Um, but no. there, where it's not just, I, I, I don't like your, your, you know, um, stereotypical, you know, mustache twirling evil guy, um, tying dentals <laughs> to the train tracks. Um, mm-hmm. but so that's what I, when I go to the dark places, I go where I can have some understanding of why somebody made a horrific choice. Like I said, that, that may be a very thin reason, but I'd like to be able to try and find understand something. it. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's the same for me. And I, um, you know, I, I went to the darkest side I could and I imagined, well, what would it be like to be in a guy's head who turns into hate? You know, he gives into the hate and he wants to destroy the world and he essentially goes about doing it with a an unknown person who's on the cyber side of things and he's more the face of it and he commits the murders and he does the bloodshed because he thinks that he will never be safe in the world unless he does this that he you know he got brought up in in adoption he got brought up in in a house where he was treated like a servant but he was actually the adopted son and you know it builds up inside of him to that point and then on the flip side of that story you've got the good which is this girl who was the daughter of the librarians and this guy killed her parents and now she's the only person that can stop him and he's still madly in love with her and that kind of journey in herself of i'm not sure how to be this superhero style character they want me to be i'm just a girl who likes to read books yeah so you're getting a very kind of contrast between good and evil all the way through to the end and then when she finally takes him down and they're they're loaded up into the helicopter and they're they're leaving she has almost that sense of guilt yeah that why couldn't i save him why couldn't i stop this from claiming another life you know it's like that kind of a shame guilt that i think any good guy hero has has with them within themselves because at the end of the day we're all human and i think that was right. to show that she's just human um it is a book that has never been published it's never found its publishing home but it was a very incredible idea of i would say the battle between good and evil like the battle between right and wrong and how somebody can just end up going so wrong it's so wrong with an understandable arc of, of where they mm-hmm. got to that wrong yeah yeah, yeah. And i, sh- I kind of showed it from the streets of london where he was this just this little boy who sees his mom get gone down uh yeah. to 
and his dad, who he knows is a really bad person, to, you know, getting completely transported out of England and goes to Scotland and then ends up as this adopted son, you know, with parents that don't understand him or understand right. how he was being raised or his culture or anything like that. And to him switching that switch in his mind, yeah. you know, like coming home and, and knowing his sister got beaten for the clothes she wore. You know, that was like the last straw that that's what makes him turn over that leaf in his head. The control and, of his own. Yeah. And yeah. he, you know, he blows up his school and he kills the adoptive parents and he goes on the run. And I think that in his mind, he was taking down the institution right. that caused him to be in that situation. Right, right. In his mind, school was that representation of evil. Like, these teachers picked yeah. on me. These teachers encouraged me to be bullied and made me have to fight to protect my sister. And now I'm kidnapping my sister and my son that, you know, this girl tricked me into having. And now I'm leaving. And I'm going to take control of this world and I'm going to force equality into it in mm -hmm. my, my way of thinking. But to go into that darker elements was incredibly difficult for me because I just had to, you, you had to switch everything. Instead of thinking rationally, you had to think emotionally. You had right. to think what's the most irrational thing to do in this situation that wouldn't make sense to the every normal day person, right. but would make sense to somebody who's lost empathy and sympathy yeah. and yeah. all that kind of stuff. So. Yeah, it was that journey for me was hard. So for you to do a crime series, uh, do you know what I mean? It's the same kind of idea. You've got it's, your it's exactly the same. It's exactly yeah. the same. Yeah, it, it is. It's going into that. You're right. I, I like the way you put that of going into the irrational response to an irrational situation. Right? How? Mm -hmm. how yeah. Yeah. I think sometimes as writers, we sometimes make it black and white because it's easier to write. But what I keep trying to encourage everyone to do is realize that actually life isn't just black and white. We have gray areas. Exactly. We, you know, any good person, any law abiding person can have a moment where they just lose control. Yeah. And they change their lives and the lives of their families forever. Right. right. And that motivation, that fear, fear is a motivating factor of trying to protect yourself and, yeah. and taking you to an unspeakable place. Yeah. It's, it's, so, yeah. I, I try and like drop these little things because <laughs> it helps all of us on our writing journeys, I suppose. It does. Um, but it doesn't always work out well for me. <laughs> but we'll see how this goes. <laughs> what inspired you to pick the genres um, that you did for your writing? So um, the, the fantasy, it was just, I always love fantasy. I love escapism. I love being yeah. able to explore an idea that, you know, is beyond the realm of possibility. Um, I had a deep fascination for um, ESP, and I loved the idea mm -hmm. of telekinetics and stuff like that. And I, from the time I was a kid, I loved the, um, the Return to Witch Mountain kind of series, that those kind of things where the kids had the power of telekinesis. And right. um, so I wanted to, that just was a natural progression of writing for me because that was what I enjoyed. And it was, 
Mm-hmm. Escape. Um, writing the murder mysteries was was nothing that I thought I would ever do. Um, and it's so ironic to me that that's my most popular series because it seems so out of out of the norm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so what I wanted to do, um, and I feel like, I hope I've achieved this. It's It feels I have, based on the response I get, is that the characters are much more important than the murder. And yeah. it's more of a psychological. So I, I think I approach it more from a psychological, like you were just speaking to, it's that it's that what drives somebody to do horrific things. And yeah. that more from a psychological perspective rather than um, just the murder mystery itself. I mean, I love Agatha Christie, but it's not for me. It's not the murder is second to the character development. Yeah. I, and I think we need to be in aware that psychology plays a huge role in everything yes when it comes to writing um and it's the reason next year i will be doing forensic science because it will help me to understand more about the psychology of criminals yes, yes. as i as i progress through, through the writing because um, yeah. my choices is do advanced creative writing or do cr- criminal psychology and i'm thinking I don't know, but I probably will go with criminal psychology. I took, I took a, um, it was a fascinating course. I took an abnormal psych class when I was at, um, in college and, um, I was just fascinated by it. I was interested in abnormal psychology. And so I took the course and it was taught by, um, a man who was, who was completely blind, full dark blind. And he would come in and the way he taught, he was just the most fascinating professor I'd ever had. He'd climb into the middle of, he had this big desk in the front of the room and he'd climb onto the middle of it. He'd sit cross-legged and he'd tell us stories um, because he would go into the, um, he's sort of the inspiration for Brianna Perry in the Moonlight trilogy. He would go into the prisons and he would meet with these murderers and rapists and here he was blind to me that was just the ultimate courage um to go in there and sit with these men and talk to them and try and help them and try and counsel them and Mm -hmm. so the way that he taught us about the different um mental illnesses is he would tell us stories i mean he would never give us names he never ever revealed who these people were but he would tell stories about them and what their motivation was and it was the first course in college where I got an A a straight A and I always thought that said something about me um (laughs) my first day was in abnormal psych but it was so fascinating to me and and I think a lot of it had to do with who he was and he was so fascinating he was such a such a dynamic person but um that just that whole so i get the wanting to go into the forensic files because that is it's it really is um it's an interesting fascinating part of humanity um, and it does tie and it ties into every character it doesn't just tie into writing crime it ties into every area of writing because even if you're writing that. just a simple romance you need to understand the psyche of Yes. these characters you're creating and you're working with so um that's kind of part of the reason why i want to do it is to well, have that kind of much more level next level understanding of how the the psychological uh, side of things works well, isn't that what makes us human too right it's yeah. it's the it's the the yeah it's the the psychology of of all of our experiences and and everything that that make us who we are and so yeah it it really is that that distinguishing characteristic so when you're writing is it like a movie in your head or is it a jigsaw puzzle that you've got to put the pieces together 
Um, it's very much a movie. Uh, well, so so that's yeah. So um, for for a murder mystery, it's kind of is like a jigsaw puzzle. It's kind of pulling the different threads together to make a whole, um, you know, tapestry, if you will. Um, yeah. But but for me, when I'm writing an individual scene, I play it in my head like a movie, and that's how I see it. Um, when I when I write dialogue. I literally, I find myself, and this is going to maybe sound insane to your, um, to your listeners or your, your viewers, but, um, I actually run the dialogue. Like, like I, I say it cause I can hear it then if I say it so I can, I can feel my mouth actually moving as I'm writing because I'm actually rehearsing the dialogue out loud. Yeah. Um, just to get that cadence of language and the way that people naturally speak, because we don't, we don't speak in complete sentences. We have very much, um, audibles and, pauses in weird places and i like to try and convey that as much as possible on the page as i possibly can so um so i would say probably both it's a little bit of both but definitely um every scene is i run through my head like a movie i think that and that's kind of important too because you're you're trying to connect into that character so that you get the Mm -hmm. words to be as beautifully done as as possible and i think that you achieve that with with talking through and yeah you know using that that technique yeah which is i i always say it's really important um for me you know i have my own techniques but um i i can almost have to like go away and think about it and then i go back and i sometimes change the dialogue um if it you know if i don't play with it in my head um till i feel comfortable with it yeah which character has stayed with you the most or the longest in your writing like has there been a character that's just hung around ever since the beginning um so i talk about that um peyton who's the main character in my murder mystery series um, she's like my alter ego and I, I always hear her thoughts in my head. Um, <laughs> and when she goes quiet, I get worried. Um, and then I, I think with the fantasy, um, I, I had a character, um, his name is Talar, and he was probably the character that to me, I felt like I developed the most. He had the most backstory. He had the most, um, sort of just dynamics about him. And so those two characters to me are the ones that really stand out. I tend to get very, um, interested in the peripheral characters so it's not necessarily the main characters that i find the most fascinating i often find that there's a peripheral character that would just fascinate me and and who are they and and how come they're in the periphery and how how do we get to know who they are so i i often do kind of tend to go gravitate more towards those peripheral characters um rather than the main because Mm -hmm. the main automatically demands attention but it's those peripheral characters i think that make a book really rich and and complete yeah no i i i see that and i i kind of like the way that you've put that because for me i i always end up focusing on the ones that are supporting the main characters yeah and it's a really bad habit of mine and i'm trying really hard not to to continue to do it i think it's a great is there a character you wish you could have written more about Usually, if I if I have an interest in a character, I'll do a spinoff um, just with that character. So I, I there's characters that I want to get to that I want to spin off um, and write more about. But those are those I usually plan. I usually I, I'm pretty 
willing to kind of follow wherever my interest takes me instead of feeling like I'm stuck in a certain thing. So I, I, that might be frustrating to my readers that I'm not just focusing on one thing, but I tend to kind of, if, if something really captures my attention, I'm going to go off on that ta- tangent. And I think it, I think it allows me to um, stay writing the series that are most popular because I allow myself to go. I, I did. I did a whole series. I, I wanted to see if I could write a book a month, one book a month, and they were just novellas. And I wanted them all around the, uh, twelve women, and I wanted them to be all around this one character who dies um, of breast cancer, and they're all pivot around her story. And I wanted to see if I could do it, and so I I wrote um, a, a newsletter to my readers, and I said, I know I'm going to depart. I'm going to leave the rest of the series that you guys are waiting for next books on, but I'd like you to just indulge me. I need a year just to pursue this and see where it's going. And so I did it and it was a wonderful, I'll never do it again because it almost killed me, but it was a wonderful experience to see if I could do that. And, and I have to be honest, all of my readers were very supportive of it and they let me have that year. So um, I'm very fortunate in that. Yeah. I mean, most people to, to do that, is it, it's so intense and it drives you to almost yeah. insanity and i i know for me like i started off with shorter books and now with the level of detail and the level of you yeah. know, knowing the onion technique and knowing all these techniques i can't do short books anymore yeah yeah because i need that time to build it in right and you know input info dumping is one of my weak points so I try really hard not to do that now and I try and break it up and space it out but um every character really struggles with that though yeah I don't I don't know of an author that doesn't no um you know you know we we get sometimes caught up in in thinking about a character and we just dump maybe you know a good page or half in about what they've experienced to that point or we do a flashback i think flashbacks was something we all had a terrible uh, tendency to do um yeah yeah, i love i love flashbacks but my readers don't isn't that interesting yeah i use flashbacks a lot because i love the ability to go back and give you some of that backstory that you know doesn't pertain necessarily but it's important because character development if you could have one of your books or series made into a tv or a feature which one would it be and why so i did have somebody contact me um he does um a, a series in the in Canada, and I'm blanking on the name of it, but he contacted me about turning um, Peyton Brooks into a series. Um, we got through the initial talks of doing it, um, and then he he backed out. Um, and I was actually somewhat relieved because he wanted to take it out of San Francisco, and he wanted to, like, he couldn't guarantee um, Peyton is um, biracial, and he couldn't guarantee me that she would remain biracial. And um, so that one, I think, would probably be the most successful because it would very easily, I think, transition on to making a series. Yeah, Yeah, I think so. So, Um, yeah. What techniques as an author have you found helpful and which ones do you wish that you hadn't tried? um, Can you give me an example? 
like for me i look at techniques and i think of like we were talking about flashbacks and we're talking about information dumps and we're talking about pantsing and plotting and trying yeah, one yeah. once a month you know and nano how nano plays into our techniques and and all these different things so for me for instance um one of the techniques that's helpful for me is i plot but I also have a separate notebook where I take in characters' facial features, hair color, eye color, so that I don't forget the name of the dog or that if somebody's pregnant or if, you know, somebody's had a car accident five years ago. Like, so yes. I don't forget the details that I know the readers know. Perfect. Um, yeah. So that's yeah. a technique I do. And some people say, oh, I like pantsing because, you know, it just comes to me and I write it like that. And that, that's that's great. Fair enough. I can't pants. And, no, um, it, you know, it, it's my Achilles heel. No, um, I, yeah. I lost my notebook for the book that I'm currently writing oh. and I'm having to pants and plot at the same time. Oh, that would be a nightmare. Not easy. No. So, yeah, those are techniques and stuff that... Um, that gives you a little insight of what mine are, but does that help you? Yeah, it does. Um, so I, I definitely am not a pantser at all. Um, I plot and I do exactly what you do. I take copious notes on the characters. I take copious notes on what they look like, their little, um, quirks. little tidbits. Yeah, quirks. Exactly. I take copious notes. Um, and um, I will go back and fill in notes, you know, after I've done writing, just to make sure that I've got everything down. Um and I do plot um, I, pretty much any technique that I want to try, I'll try it out and see if it works. Um, so you'll see some different techniques in each one of the books that I've tried. So I'm I'm pretty willing to explore. I, I get some idea that I think, oh, that would be fun to try. I'm going to try that. And so I'll explore it and try it. And so far, I've been very lucky. Everybody's been receptive to it. Um, so, but yeah, I agree with you. I am not a pan. I don't, I don't know how, and I don't know. How, I, I, I struggle with, I've had people tell me they write murder mysteries as a pantser. And I struggle with that because you have to be so deliberate about where you, no idea how they do that. Where you sprinkle the breadcrumbs. I just don't know how they can do that. Um, so I think yeah. they make it up as they go along, to be honest. I, I, yeah. Like, I think the way they it, know, <laughs> I think they're going to fill in the clues. We had a we had a writer on I think a couple of weeks ago, and she said, you know, she doesn't know who the murderer is until the end. I and wow. she goes and when she's written it, she'll go back and she'll read and she'll check to see if there is breadcrumbs along the way. But to her, breadcrumbs don't matter. Wow. The point I... of the the story is the characters, and I I have no idea how she does that. Because to I'm me, I worked with a detective on mine because I didn't want to get it wrong. Like, yeah. maybe I'm a bit more thoughtful on things like I need this to be exactly right that I don't like to kind of no, I'm with you. or share. I'm, I, I'm with you. I, I'm in awe. I, I don't know how. I don't know how you do that. I, I mean, that to me is scary. I, that you, We talked earlier about things that... that make us fearful that that would make me fearful not knowing where I was going with a plot um yeah yeah so moving on into life portion of the podcast where we dispel the myths about us as writers uh we do not all live in big mansions with servants and we are not anti-social trolls that hides in our flats in our houses and writes all the time 
we're actually, we go shopping and we take the kids to school and we do all these normal everyday things. So what is the first thing that you would do when you want to distress from life, editing and writing? Um, I love to, I, I, well, I love to go for a walk and take the dogs out and go for a walk and just get out and just let, you know, might clear my head and the physical movement helps a swim I like to swim with the dogs um, I'm fortunate enough to have a pool and so um, I have two golden retrievers and they love to swim so we'll spend some time out of the pool anything like that um, I love baseball so I, I will turn on the baseball game and just listen to it while I'm cooking or doing something else that kind of just it, it's just such a different divergent um, task that it, it kind of forces me out of my stress mode or forces me out of my own head a little bit where I can just do, you know, any physical activity really helps to kind of get you out of your, out Fun of your, thing. yeah, yeah, yeah. So anything like that is, is kind of where I, I like to do things to de-stress and to. So what hobbies do you enjoy and are there ones you wish you could explore? Um, I love travel and I haven't been able to travel very much lately. Um, obviously the pandemic, um, curtailed that and then life, you know, life gets in the way. Um, so I do love to travel. So I would, I would really like to get back to traveling, um, and doing, exploring some new places. And, um, I love to, um, one thing that people probably don't know is I love to make candles. So to me, that's just very, it's just, it's that physical, you know, um, creative side coming out in a different way entirely. And um, I've often thought if I had the time, um, I, I like doing crafts of any kind, but I've often thought if I had the time, I'd like to maybe, I, I don't think I have any inclination towards music, but I have a piano and I'd love to like, just learn to tinker on the piano if I had time. So I would love to explore that. Um as hopefully as I quit teaching, I would be able to to try some different things. But that's one I'd like to just see. I I don't believe that I have any musical talent, but you know, until you try, you never know until you try. Yeah, exactly. I I can't read music. It's uh, something I learned about my dyslexia. It yeah. totally kills my ability to to read and understand music. So. Um, I know I don't. <laughs> so, yeah, but I get your thing about candle making and how it takes you out and makes it different. Yeah. What's the first thing you do in the morning? Uh, it depends. If, if I'm off work, if I'm not working, if I'm it's during the summer or something, the first thing I do is I get up and I um, take the dogs for a walk and then I come in and I come into my office here and I write and I try and get a couple of hours of writing down. If I'm working, obviously it's getting up and getting ready and heading off to work. Um, so it's a completely different environment. Um, but I really enjoy the times where I can have more of a leisurely. Um, I'm much more able to write in the morning. I don't know when you, if you find there's a certain time of day where it's better for you, but writing in the morning to me where my brain is fresh is yeah. really the best um, for creating. When I'm tired, uh, editing is good. So when I'm I'm feeling kind of grumpy and tired at the end of the day, then I can really edit because I feel like I'm harsher on myself um, than I am in the morning. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a bit the same. Like if I'm sort of afternoon, I'll sit and I'll write. Um, maybe catch up with friends in the morning. I might 
check the emails, deal with emails in the morning, because I never know what's going to be sitting in my emails when I get up. So I, I will just deal with whatever is there. And then once all of that's cleared, um, then I can get into writing. And yeah. then it's kind of like, I don't eat lunch sometimes. Sometimes I get too caught up and I forget. <laughs> so I'll have like a big dinner at night. Like five-ish, uh, five, six o'clock, I make something. And then um, I start getting ready for writing in bed. Because I, I do copious notes in bed. Yeah. Because that's when I watch TV with my husband. And we just chill out. We relax for the day. Um and you know usually that's it but if i'm editing sometimes i catch myself i'll read for a couple of hours in bed i'll edit in bed for a couple of hours um but i can't sit at the moment i can't sit for too long to edit because i i get too much eye strain oh yeah so i'm actually going to get an eye test for that um and hopefully that'll help and i can spend more time editing at the computer but uh, that was that's something i've struggled with for the last sort of 14 years um thinking it was just my dyslexia but it could actually oh, just be yeah. eye strain yeah so yeah um but no that that's kind of what it is for me and and it, it's it's what helps me kind of kind of get going yeah what dream have you yet to achieve that you long to hmm. oh that's a good one um boy that's a good one <laughs> I don't know. I mean, if you're talking professionally, I guess I would love to see. Um, I got the chance. I, I wrote a screenplay, a very short screenplay, and we turned it into a, a short movie. And I got to see that up on the screen. I got to see people's reactions in real time. And that was just incredible. So I'd, I'd probably like to do that again on a bigger scale. Um, yeah. But but probably also just personally, I just want to be able to see more places and experience more different cultures so i think that's a dream i really would like to get out and travel some more yeah no i get that because like there's times where you know like there's things i i am desperate to do like i would like to see the podcast take off or yeah. uh, my writing to take off and me to get into a position where i can just write yeah and then hand it off to an editor and just I can focus on writing the stories and the concept and they can worry about the dyslexia <laughs> and uh, making it, you know, on making it so that people can understand it. Yeah. Um, that's the dream. Like that's that that would be my dream for it, my my side of it. And I always like to ask that because sometimes it shakes something loose in authors and it makes them drive a little bit harder to achieve their dreams. Yeah. And I think there's there's nothing wrong with that if it's helping to inspire you and it's helping to to take you that little extra step. Mm-hmm. So I myself have a long term illness that makes me slow down and appreciate the day. What would you say makes you slow down and smell the roses? Uh, probably my family. I just became a grandmother, so I had a little oh, wow. grandmother. And um, I love to go and see her and spend some time just rocking her in a rocking chair, you know, and just, just enjoying being in that moment and just slowing down and just looking at her and talking to her and taking that time to just, I, I feel like so much of my life is rushing here and there. Um, and going from one thing to the next and never feeling like I have enough time to, to really focus and really, really, um, dedicate the time to things that I wish I could. And so with her being born, she was, she's just two weeks old. Um, there's been a couple of times where I've gone, I've just sat for an hour and a half and just held her and just rocked her. And 
just enjoy being in the moment, you know, just yeah. enjoy like right now. I'm just happy to be here and with you and that's enough. It's enough, you know? <laughs> yeah, it is. It definitely is. I, I totally get what you're saying. So where's your favorite place uh, to curl up during the day? Is it, do you have like a kind of garden you like to go to or a cafe or a reader's nook or a special seat? Yeah, so I have in my family room, um, it's right next to the kitchen and it's right next to the backyard. And I love to spend, I spend quite a bit of time in the backyard, but um, there's a there's a chair and it extends so I can extend the leg out and I can just kind of recline there and curl up. And usually the cat comes and gets on my lap. And I just love that moment of just sitting down and I, I read there and it's got the sun comes in in the in the afternoon, so it's just kind of nice that end of day sunlight as it's starting to fade, and I love that moment of just being able to sit down and realize that everything's done. I don't need to be anywhere. I don't need to be doing anything, and I can just you know enjoy. Well, and if I want to go enjoy. sit outside, I can go sit outside or whatever. But it's right. All, everything's kind of in that conjunction in the house. So now on to the last but not least, and it's always our most funnest part of the podcast, the word game. Yeah, so this like is when... novel titles. That's what we're. Yeah. <laughs> so this is when we match words um, from my ideal place of meeting you in an ideal world to the list of words that I'm going to give you. And of okay. course, your theme was a high tea English tea room where we just indulge in cakes and we're all there for <laughs> some sort of writing related thing. So I love that. We will start with your first word, which is chocolate. Chocolate. So come up with a book, right? Yep. Book. So whatever like book that comes like to your mind. Or chocolate comes to mind. Um, that's such a fun book because it's got the um, it's magical realism, and it's got the um, recipes at the start of every uh, every chapter. Oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah. What about caramel? Caramel. Hmm. Um, I used to read these, and I can't remember the name of them. That they were um, by Cleo Coyle. They were copy books, and she always oh. um, talked about making uh, caramel. So probably those. Oh, that's cool. What about Butterfingers? Butterfingers. Wow. I'm drawing a blank. See, that, that, that for me ties in with um, Leslie Pierce. And I can't remember the title of the book right now, but Leslie Pierce has this great way of whenever there's like people gathering for coffee, she has some sort of nice, delicate, like nice treat oh, on her okay. plate. So I always think of that like when it comes to her okay all right okay what about custard creams custard creams um i read which i don't know why this just came to my mind but i read um the the something about the guernsey something society and they had they would they would get together for a book group and it was during the war and yeah. so that comes to mind there must have been something in there about custard creams it is a very English biscuit, so I'll give yeah. you that. Yeah. What about cheesecake? Cheesecake. Um, cheesecake. I, I just read a book. 
recently i'm trying to think of what the name of it is so this is where i knew i would be bad at this um it was about you're actually doing a lot better than most i i usually have a list of titles on hand in case people get stuck <laughs> um it was about it was a, an interesting book and i haven't finished it yet but it's about um it's a son in an abortion clinic ironically and one of the scenes they go and they have cheesecake so that's what that to my the book is it's sitting on my sitting by my my spot outside in the living room right now Oh, <laughs> I know that feeling. What about cookies? cookies um uh give a mouse a cookie <laughs> i used to love to read that to my sons um when they were growing up and so it's something that i definitely will bring to my granddaughters so i love that little story i think that's such a cute story Yeah, it is. And cinnamon swirls. cinnamon swirls uh, that brings to mind and i know this wasn't part of it but my own book um that i do a cozy mystery series and the main characters um her, she's one of the baristas she makes uh cinnamon breadsticks with cinnamon swirls um for that's her claim to fame is that everybody wants to come and get her cinnamon breadsticks Oh, okay. And uh, last but not least, coffee. coffee uh there's so many books where coffee is um so important in the book um but again i go back to that cleo coyle series um, and i love those books um they were all set in her coffee shop and she went into great detail about um sourcing the beans and all of that stuff and roasting them the things i never even thought about went all into uh making coffee and, and they were all cute titles they were all um coffee related titles and they were really clever um punny titles that she had for I her like coffee that. series yeah and it's just it's a light cozy read and just fun you know just not Well, not decent that's the end of our podcast. You have survived to the end. <laughs> um, it has been an absolute honor having you. And when your next series a pleasure comes out or your next book comes out, please email me so we can have you back on. Um, thank we you will then talk more about the book in question and you don't have to get do the get to know the listeners part. Um, and we can talk a little bit more about writing styles and tips and tricks that you've picked up along the way. So... Everyone, you'll want to stay uh, with us for next week because we've got another amazing author coming in and I'm sure they're going to have some incredibly crazy insights. So make sure you stop by next week and that's all for the Book and Life podcast.